I know a lot of people who have had very bad experiences, but the reality is that what you see in the street is the tip of an iceberg. The average age of a homeless person in this country, in the United States of America, is 11. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. Hello and welcome back to our Urban Voices. I am your host, Dr. Alphonse Javed, and today I am joined by Josiah Haken, the CEO of City Relief in New York City. City Relief is a mobile outreach to people struggling with the homelessness. Our topic today focuses on a very important aspect of urban ministry, homelessness. Josiah grew up in Cameroon as the son of missionaries. His This offered him a unique perspective on the complexities of poverty and homelessness. He is the author of Neighbors with No Doors, the truth about homelessness and how you can make a difference. Thanks for joining us today, Josiah. How are you doing? Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. I thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Yeah. So before we start this conversation, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about your family? I think family, when we talk about families, humanizes us. So I would love to hear a little bit about your family, bro. Of course, of course. So I have been uh, blissfully married. Uh, if anybody is, if that's such a thing, is anyone ever blissfully married? But I've been <laughs> blissfully married uh, for almost 17 years exactly. I got married in seven, uh, 2005, on September 23rd. Uh, at the ripe old age of 19. Mm. Uh, and my wife and I have two uh, children who keep us on our toes. My daughter is 10 years old and she just went into fifth grade. And my son is eight and he is in third grade. Um, awesome. And it's, yeah. So we've been on this journey now for quite quite a while. And um, yeah, it's been an adventure. That's awesome. I love families. And when I hear other people are also dealing with children, it makes me happy because I got my own four children. So yeah. Four. Um, That's impressive. Four right? is it- under under five. Under five. Four under five. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So I'm sure you have told the story countless times, but would you mind sharing with us in a few sentences about your journey to City Relief? Absolutely. So I I grew up in West Africa. My parents were missionaries with Wycliffe Bible translators and moved to Hershey, Pennsylvania uh, as a freshman in high school um, in 2000. Um, went, finished high school there, uh, graduated, then got married at uh, 19 um, to the, the woman that I'm uh, still married to, thank goodness. And um, we were, my wife's a nurse and I was in sales and I didn't know how, you know, what that was gonna translate to in terms of my faith and my calling. Um, God, you know, led me out to, to New Jersey to be a part of a church plant out here um, called Liquid Church. Um, and I was uh, a very regular volunteer with them. And through Liquid Church, I met the organization that I'm currently at, uh, which at the time was called New York City Relief. And um, I started off just as an outreach leader, taking teams of volunteers into the streets and helping our unhoused neighbors get connected to services. And one thing led to another, and I just, you know, got promoted to be the outreach director. And uh, kept hanging on and you know the, it's it's true what they say if you stick around long enough you'll be in charge eventually so uh, <laughs> in february of this year i was selected by the board of directors to be the the ceo and i'm very humbled and honored to have that position and, and feel really excited about the future of our organization 
That's awesome, brother. I'm so happy and congratulations too. Um, how does city, city Relief approach homelessness specifically? How does City Relief help those struggling? So City Relief is a mobile outreach program. Uh, so we take uh, retrofitted school buses and outreach vehicles uh, with loaded up with fresh soup and bread and uh, socks and toiletries and things that our, our unhoused neighbors uh, would really appreciate because they don't have access to those things regularly, like laundry services or uh, and they're on their feet all day. So their, their feet get very sore and tired and sweaty. And so new socks is a really big deal for someone who's in the street. Um, right. And obviously having access to a fresh meal is, is something that we all uh, appreciate know, take for granted sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So um, we basically go to eight different locations in New Jersey and New York City every single week. We serve about 1300 people a week. Um, and we throw block parties on the sidewalk and we wow. create spaces for people to be engaged on a humane level. We, we really believe in dignity. I mean, we are a Christian organization. So uh, while we don't ex you know, exclude who we serve with or um, you know, we, we welcome everybody, we, we, we don't uh, discriminate on, in any way. Um, but at the same time, our faith is what, is what prompts us and motivates us to, to continue to show up and serve day in and day out. And that comes simply right. from the belief that every man, woman, and child on this earth is made in the image of God Amen. Uh, as they are. So yeah. um, as an organization, we try to bring that dignity and that value to uh, our experiences with our friends in the street um, and then point them to, to, to help and hope. So uh, we leverage the trust that we build through the meal, through the socks, through the, the things that we give away um, to build connections. And then we connect people from where we are in the street to services because the bureaucracy of social services and the shelter system and housing applications, it's so tedious and so huge. Mm. A lot of folks in the street don't know how to, to get to where they need, they need to go. And oftentimes we'll just give up along the way. So as an organization, we try to meet them at that mm. point where they may have given up and we try to right. remind them that God loves them and there's hope and here's where you can go to get help. And so as a, in a nutshell, that's what we do every single week for hundreds and hundreds of people struggling with homelessness. Have you seen any results? What results have you seen? Oh, we've seen, you know, oh, hundreds and hundreds of, of, of people's lives changed. Um, there's, you know, the, the, the data is, um, you know, we, we, we have millions of, of meals that we've given out over the last 30 years as the organization has been around since 1989. Mm. Um, we uh, write, you know, hundreds and hundreds of referrals every single week. Just one example, I was in Chelsea Park uh, Wednesday. On Wednesday, we, we go to Chelsea Park on 28th and 9th and, uh, you know, near, uh, not too far from Penn Station. And, you know, we, we served approximately 300 people. Um, and we had at least 20 one-on-one -on -one conversations with people about, you know, awesome. benefits and housing assistance. Mm. And three of those individuals just on a Wednesday were able to get off the street. We were able to help them get into safe havens and mm. uh, leverage partnerships with other organizations to, to help them move forward. So um, just in a nutshell, that's one outreach. Uh, and, you know, we average uh, eight outreaches a week. So we're, we're talking about hundreds of outreaches, thousands of people yeah. reach. Amen. What are some of the lies that we tell about homelessness that you would like to address? Yeah, this is a big deal because I, the, the, the storyline about homelessness um, mm. in our culture is, is very negative. Um, right. we, we live in a culture where uh, we blame the victims 
uh, mm. of, of systemic injustice, uh, mm. oftentimes because we, we think that uh, somehow we've been able to make it, we've been able to provide for ourselves and our families. And so I think oftentimes we want some credit. Uh, we want some credit for what, for what we do to, to, to earn and, and create. Um, and so when we see someone in the street, we, we often, it makes us feel better, I think, sometimes to blame them and assume that they're there by choice. And so uh, there are narratives that I think we, we, we tend to believe as a society around homelessness. Uh, some of the lies that are the big ones that I've, I've identified are that homeless people are lazy. Uh, that they, why don't, why don't they just get a job? You know, if, if I had a, if I had a dollar for every time someone asked me why a homeless person doesn't get a job, I could give homeless people jobs and pay them a living wage. Um, so why don't they get a job? That there's this idea that somehow they're not working when in reality surviving without a home and without a, uh, a shower and a bathroom and community is actually incredibly hard work. Uh, and so homeless people are often the hardest working people that I know. Um, but that's one of one of the lies that I believe we, we believe. The other lie is that they're um, dangerous. Um, we, we assume that they're scary. Like this is what happens with um, when someone tries to build a shelter or a, a low income housing unit and, and the right. community uh, protests and says where they're not they're not. These people are not safe. They're, they're dangerous right. to our children. We have kids. What about our kids? Um, and it's this again, this assumption that just because someone's homeless, that they're that they're dangerous is mm. uh, it's built on a lot of, you know, stereotypes and systemic racism and, you know, all the classism and all this, these, these ideas that are, that are just built on, they're built on falsehoods. Um, and then obviously there's the idea that all, they're all mentally ill, you know, they're, they're, they're all, uh, if we could just get them medicated and get them on, you know, get them into therapy, maybe they wouldn't be homeless mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. When in reality, one in five Americans struggles with mental health mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. And somehow most of us manage to stay housed. So it's, it's clearly not just simply a matter of mental health, because most of us who struggle with mental health are able to keep a roof over our head. So there must be something right. else going on. And the last one, which I think is very prevalent, is that they're, they're all addicts. Uh, we, we just need to get them uh, addict, uh, into treatment. You need to get them off of drugs and alcohol. Um, when, in, when, again, in reality, in my experience, is that oftentimes addiction issues are a, are a symptom uh, or right. a consequence of homelessness. Mm -hmm not a cause. Uh, there are many people I've met over the years uh, who started out um, clean and they were trying to put one foot in front of the other, and, but eventually they gave up and, and eventually they decided that they needed to medicate their pain uh, with, with substances rather than um, with uh, you know, some other more productive way because they, they've given up. Um, and so those are just four, in, in my book, Neighbors With No Doors, I identify those four as sort of the big lies that, again, as a society, we tend to tell about homelessness um, because those are the if you watch the media and you read the press reports, if you even if you have an experience uh, with someone in the street, that's negative. I know a lot of people who have had very bad experiences, but the reality is that what you see in the street is the tip of an iceberg. The average age of a homeless person in this country, in the United States of America, is 11. So we're talking about a very a uh, very diverse group, a very complex issue, uh, and generalizations and lies, I think, stop us from, from prioritizing uh, help and hope for these folks. Yeah. How has the COVID pandemic affected those struggling with homelessness in the past two years? It's been, it's gotten much worse. 
yeah. COVID pandemic has made things very difficult, especially, yeah. I mean, a lot of people in the street are, are stuck with the, uh, the option of going into a shelter. And shelters yeah. usually have uh, dozens, if not hundreds of people uh, in one building. And with the COVID pandemic, uh, obviously congregate settings were, were very uh, problematic. And so there's a lot of people who were very fearful and who chose to sleep in the street, not because they uh, like it or they, you know, are choosing to be homeless, but because they're afraid of getting sick and dying. And and the economic impact of COVID, I, you can't, we can't overstate. Um, when we were, I, I, I met two two young men uh, in April of 2020, who were um, they were rest, they worked in a restaurant. And they had shared their they would they would share their money to pay for a room for two hundred dollars a week, and they would work and they would you know they would get more than that you know but between between the two of them, but uh, they were worked in a restaurant and when those restaurants closed they didn't get uh, access to the uh, PPP loan you know they they didn't get that that relief um, and so they went from being um, you know fully gamefully employed and housed to being in the street. And, um, and that's just two people, right? We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people who, have, who were directly impacted. And then obviously um, the eviction crisis that's now, just now starting to really ramp up. Um, you know, there were millions of Americans who were protected from eviction uh, because of moratoriums and government right. action. Right. Um, obviously that was not a forever uh, solution uh, and that, that safety line ran out, and now there's a lot of people who are who are being forced out of their homes. So the the reality is of what COVID did to the to low income and marginalized communities, and and particularly communities of color specifically, became got hit extra hard. Um, and so and the homelessness tends to be, um, you know, there, there there is there is a race racism component to homelessness uh, that can't be denied. And so there's uh, lot of factors where COVID really was sort of a perfect storm uh, for a lot of people who, who were either very um, tenuously housed, who are no longer, or people who were out, outright homeless to start and their lives just got worse. Um, simply accessing a bathroom is harder now than it was in 2019 because a lot of bathrooms and public spaces closed during the pandemic. A lot of restaurants stopped letting people in to access their bathrooms for fear of uh, spread, uh, and a lot of those places have not re, you know, changed their policies. While the policies of the CDC have changed and the policies of the trains and masking have changed, a lot of restaurant and private business owners took advantage of the fact that they got used to telling people there's no public bathroom because that's one less thing for them to, to worry about and then a headache they have to deal with. Now there's fewer bathrooms even for people. So it, it's really been a problem um, and it's been a very challenging season. Hey, Josiah, so what advice can you give to urban churches wanting to reach out to those uh, struggling with homelessness in their neighborhoods? Oh, it's such a great question. Um, I, I really believe with all my heart that uh, urban churches and um, communities of faith really have an important role to play. Um, and I think a couple of couple things. One, I would encourage all church leaders to um, to try to learn about the, the services that are in their area. Um, learn about the, the shelters that are in your area. Learn about the programs that exist for, for people because they're going to come through your doors. Uh, as you know very well, uh, people are going to come through your doors. 
um, who are going to ask for help because the church has historically been a place of refuge uh, for people in crisis and as it should be. Um, so learning about where those resources are is very important. Um, I would also encourage churches to um, provide opportunities for their congregants to, uh, to, to get involved with nonprofits like City Relief or, or something mm -hmm. else that maybe maybe different location or closer or whatever, but um, find a way to volunteer, find a way to, to help people meet their unhoused neighbors in a way that is productive and, and beneficial, mutually beneficial. Um, so it, it starts by sort of acknowledging the, the crisis and acknowledging the problem, but but then not defining people by that problem. So encourage. So there's a lot of education that needs to happen in churches, I think. And then mobilization. I mean, churches that have access to space, churches that have access to to buildings and land, and uh, and 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 certain have maybe have people in their congregations who are equipped to to help in some way, whether they're medical providers or whether they're psychiatrists or they're you know, rehab counselors or whatever it is. There's people in churches who have a great deal of um, resources that the church really, you know, can tap into. Um, I'm a big believer in, I have a pastor friend who says that uh, the, the, the church is God's plan A to respond to the needs of the hurting and the homeless. Mm -hmm. And there is no plan B. And uh, so I think there is, while the needs are great, the opportunity for the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, and to really demonstrate that love, the love of Christ, uh, there's no greater opportunity than caring for, for the unhoused. So yeah. really a great opportunity for churches. Yeah. So you mentioned a few different options and a few different things they can, churches can do in the urban setting. If every urban church could start doing one thing, what would you suggest? One thing. One thing I would suggest. It's um, a great question. Getting in, getting involved in a local nonprofit or organization okay. that right. is already serving the unhoused community. Good, good, very good. So, what is a common mistake you see people make in 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 serving this population, homeless population? Probably the most common is is to assume that they that by serving them i'm doing them a favor and and somehow they owe me uh for that for that service uh one quick story i was in penn station i was sitting down next to a a young man uh who i turned out he wasn't homeless but he was down on his luck and uh we were just chatting and having a good conversation and a woman approached us and uh she she walked right she pretended like i didn't even exist she didn't even acknowledge my existence she just looked at the at the person that was sitting next to me he had really dirty shoes and uh, kind of unkempt, kind of actually kind of looks, you know, not much better than me, probably in terms of my presentation. Um, so, but she says to him, as I'm sitting next to him, she says, you, my church gives out food every Thursday outside of here, outside of Penn Station, and, and we give it to the homeless and you need it. You need, you need, you need that, that, that food. Uh, and the gentleman was very kind and gracious. And he was like, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not homeless. And, uh, I appreciate your, your, your kindness, but, um, I'm okay right now. Thank wow. you. So there's this presumption that these people almost owe us their appreciation for what we offer them. And so I, if that's what, that's a one big mistake I've seen so often, because what that does is it creates this barrier of us and them where people who are serving think that somehow the person on the street owes them something. When in reality, 
uh, it's the other way around, especially for Christians. If, if, if a person is going to claim the name of Jesus and someone who's claimed to be a servant yeah. of Jesus, they're going to read verses like Matthew 25, where Jesus says, whatever you have done to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done unto me. And so there's a math equation that I think Christians need to learn, which is that uh, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. And that's because if that homeless person somehow represents the risen Christ in the flesh, as Jesus says in Matthew 25, then I don't owe that person my pity. I don't owe them my, my, my charity. I, mm-hmm. I owe them my gratitude. Uh, I am grateful for the privilege of being in, a, in, a, the, in the presence of the incarnate Lord in some metaphysical way. And so it's an opportunity for me to learn and to, to submit and to, to grow. And so for me, I think that's the number one mistake that churches make is they assume that when they go out and do outreaches and when they go out and serve that, that somehow they're the ones who are doing the favor. Uh, in reality, it's the other way around that we get to do this work. I don't have to do this. I get to do this work because I believe that Jesus represents, uh, he, he's my savior and he is uh, the Lord of Lords. And, and somehow if I can encounter him in the face of the, of the homeless man who's panhandling outside of my church walls, man, what a, what a great opportunity. Uh, that is so that's what i think gets missed do do you think that would be uh, the main takeaway if 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 people those who are listening to this podcast if you want to give them the main takeaway would that be this takeaway from matthew or would you want to add to that some something else no i think that i think that is the main takeaway because it changes everything it changes that's what i thought it, it, it changes everything it changes our motivation it changes our posture it changes our urgency I mean, imagine if someone said to, to me today, like right now, came into my, my office and was like, hey, you know, Jesus is sitting outside. Mm. Do, would I just keep sitting? Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, no, he'll get there. And hopefully he's still there when I go out at five o'clock and I, I bump it. No, that's Jesus. You know, I, I, my goodness. Yeah. I, it, yeah, so that's the take. It changes everything. Once that, that reality can get internalized, it changes everything. So if listener wants to get in touch with you or find your book, what are the easiest ways? Yeah, the easiest ways are, uh, I mean, my, my book uh, can be found in my, po- I have a podcast uh, with the same name, uh, Neighbors with No Doors. Um, uh, and uh, you can find it at neighborswithnodoors.com. Uh, you can find both of those. That's really easy. I would also encourage people to look up the organization that I, that I get the privilege of leading, City Relief. Uh, you can just go to cityrelief.org and you can find ways to, to volunteer or to, to support financially if that's what you like to if that's what you like to do or that's how you serve um, and we would love to you know I'm on social media you can find me Josiah Haken is a very unique name uh, I think I might be the only Josiah Haken in the Facebooking world uh, so I'm, I'm not too terribly hard to track down so um, I would love yeah. to be in contact and if anyone has any questions I'd love to, to engage them in anything I can mm-hmm. do to help Great. That will also be included in the episode description. And for the last thing, because we talk about heavy topics and today we were talking about homelessness, we are talking about not just uh, numbers, we're talking about individuals, thousands and thousands of them uh, uh, in need of help. And uh, you guys are have been doing that. So a lot of, uh, con- it was a heavy content. So I would like to ask you to tell a joke to lighten the mood. I want people to know that you can also uh, tell jokes in the midst of crisis. 
tell a joke. Well, here my wife is was was an ICU nurse for a number of years, and she told me she would she would say that um, if you're not if in some situations it's laugh or cry, and it's good sometimes to choose to laugh. Um, I I will say that I am not good. I'm not a good joke teller. Um, I, I, I regrettably I probably won't be able to come up with a a, a specific joke. Uh, although my children. Uh, I'm sure would love to 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 help me with this on some on some level, but um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I would say that the joke is on the person who if, is this going to be a video recording? Is this? It, yes, it is. It is. So, both. The, so the joke the joke is just this. This is the joke, you know. <laughs> the, 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 okay. Well, here's the other the other thing I think is funny is every time I you know we, I speak at at places, I think uh, people often will see that I'm born in Cameroon. Um, and I, I often will tell them, you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm a white guy, you know, I, I, I'm as white as, they, as white as can be, but I was born and raised in West Africa, and there's always somebody, when I speak at a shelter, and like I mentioned race earlier, uh, which is also a heavy topic, but, uh, you know, the, unfortunately, 40% of homeless individuals in this country are, are African-American, mm. um, only they make up only 14% of the population, so there's clearly, usually, unfortunately, in shelters, you, you have a large percentage of African-Americans. And every time I speak at a shelter, there's always one person who finds out I was born in the raised in Yaoundé, Cameroon, and they go, "You're more African than I am." <laughs> um, you know. That's good. That's good. Thank you so much for being uh, on the show again. That was uh, Josiah Haken of uh, Studio Relief, and thank you to all of our listeners. You are all truly what we what makes this podcast if you have learned anything or have been inspired at all today please be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast consider sharing this episode with a friend tune in next week for more honest discussions from diverse voices You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.